0: Um, sharing on biblical basis for missions this morning and also God's heart for the lost. Uh, but I thought it'd be good to pray. So let's just ask God to come and lead us this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you so much uh, for bringing us together this morning. And thank you, Jesus, that you, you did come to seek and save the lost. And I pray today that we would capture a glimpse of your heart. Uh, That you would impart in us, deposit in us today. Uh, Something of your heart, Lord, that will help us uh, to reach those that do not know you. Lord, we just pray for your anointing uh, this morning upon us all. uh, To be able to share, but also be able to hear everything that you have to say. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. I was thinking about the biblical basis for missions. And uh, the first thing that came to my mind in preparation... That really uh, the biblical basis for missions for us as followers of Jesus is actually the life of Jesus himself. Uh, We will look at that a little bit later. But just in prayer and just in worship before, I was thinking about it again. That Jesus so well showed us uh, the life that he wants us to live. Uh, He came to show us how to live. He didn't just come to die for our sin. He came to show us the Father. He came uh, to show us how to live. And uh, so, so much of Jesus' life was a missional life. He actually reached out to the lost constantly, ministered to the lost constantly, and encouraged people to do so. And so we'll look at some stories later, but uh, we're going to go all the way to the beginning of the Bible, at least the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 12. We'll start there. I'm just going to read some scriptures to you. They'll be behind me uh, on the screen as well. But Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. Uh, The Abrahamic Covenant. This is where God calls Abraham to basically go. He doesn't really know where, but God calls him to go. And the Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. Now sometimes we will call this top line and bottom line. So I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. Top line, and I will make your name great. Top line, I will bless you. But then the purpose of this blessing is, so you shall be a blessing. What is the bottom line of the blessing? And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so the bottom line of Abraham's blessing is that the nations will be blessed through him. And that all people will have an opportunity. This gets repeated in Genesis 26, when uh, we have Isaac, verses 2 to 4. Genesis 26, verses 2 to 4. The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. Top line. For to you and your descendants I will give this land. And I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and will give you descendants of these lands. And by your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Bottom line. And then we have the next generation, Jacob, Genesis 28, verses 13 and 14. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord. The God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give it to you and your descendants. And your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed." And now, scriptures like this, uh, that either mention part of this covenant, the whole covenant, or are connected to this covenant, appear over 40 times uh, in the Old Testament. It is something that runs through scripture quite significantly. We see it again in the New Testament, in Matthew 28. Pastor Benny mentioned it yesterday. Verses 18 to 20. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, we go to Mark sixteen, fifteen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. It is repeated again in Luke. It is repeated again in John. It is repeated again in Acts chapter 1, just before Jesus goes uh, up to heaven. After he has risen from the dead. And verses 6, 7 and 8. So when they had come together... They were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? You know, and you look at background, because Jesus, of course, had come initially. And everybody believed that he was going to reestablish the kingdom of Israel. And the next thing we know, he dies on the cross. And so he rises from the dead. And the disciples are now, oh, is it this time you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he says to them, it is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and Samaria, and even the remotest part of the earth. And so when we're looking at scripture, the commandment uh, to be a blessing uh, runs all through it. I just mentioned five, six scriptures, there are so many. And there's, of course, the life of Jesus, the, the, the Gospels, uh, Acts, you know, where the disciples uh, do their work all through uh, the letters. There's so many uh, words and scriptures that talk about missions and missionary work and are the importance of us being involved. And now for me, uh, this started 24 years ago, 25 years ago. I came to Australia. I was quite lost uh, as a backpacker. Uh, I ended up in an organization called Youth With The Mission, uh, where I ended up giving my life to Jesus and committed to following Him. And I went on my first mission trip uh, to India and to uh, Thailand. And in India, we worked somewhere in southern India in a place called Velo, close to uh, Madras or Chennai. And we worked there with orphanages. And... And, and little villages. And I remember at one point uh, I was in this village, and we're playing with kids. We're doing kids' programs and talking to people. We did healthcare clinics. We had a nurse on our team, and we'd been trained a little bit in first aid. And you know, the little bit that we had was a lot for people that didn't have anything. And and I remember playing with these kids. And at one point we're about to leave, and this gentleman comes up to me, and he carries this child. And he gives me this child and, uh, and I was sort of like, oh, you know, give the child a hug and sort of put him on the ground and put my hand on his head, sort of like acknowledged him. And I went on a little bit and this gentleman comes up to me again with that child, gives me the child. And so I'm like, put the child down again, hand on his head, you know, it's like the same thing. It's like acknowledge. And I walk on again, and this gentleman comes up to me a third time with this child. And he gives me this child. I god, that's really weird. So I get a translator, and uh, I ask him, like, what's going on? It's like, he gives me this child, and I put it down. Now, this child uh, couldn't speak and couldn't hear. Uh, Was mute and dumb and however we call that. But he he, uh, was a really sweet child. And uh, I asked the translator, I said, what's going on? And he, uh, the translator said to me, "Ah, oh, the dad uh, feels great concern for his child. And he knows that in his circumstances, he won't really have a lot of opportunities in India. And he wants you to take this child back to Australia. And it's like, it just completely stumped me. Like, it overwhelmed me. Twofold. First and foremost, that somebody would give their child away, right? And this is not an accusation because I totally understand. He's looking for a better opportunity and for a better life. And secondly, it just grabbed me as it relates to God's heart. There was something that God deposited in me on that trip, which was, you know, late 1998. As it relates to God's heart for people, that God loves all people and He wants the best for all people. And it started putting me on a journey as calling into missions. And as I was preparing, I was thinking of another situation in 2004. We did a year-long outreach in a, in a city called Athens, right? It was the, the 100-year celebration of the Olympic Games in 2004. And with Youth for the mission, the organization that I'm with, we, uh, we go to the Olympic Games and we do outreaches there. We have hundreds of people that go there. And uh, we were in the center of the city. And some of you might have been there. Uh, you have a, a square there. It's called Syntegna, Syntegna Square. Uh, it's a really famous square. There's a lot of sightseeing that happens. And during the day, there's lots and lots of tourists that are in that square coming to have a look and you know photos and all of that stuff. But at night, everything changes. Like I was talking to a, a, a team yesterday that is going to Japan. And related to spiritual mapping and and prayer walking. And if you want a real good picture of a city, uh, it's important that you also walk the streets at night. Because sometimes day and night can be very different. And so we're on this square at night. And what happens there, most of the tourists at a certain time will leave. And then what happens, all the drug addicts uh, of the city come to that square. And it's, you know, I think by myself, man, where would Jesus be at that time? He'd, He'd probably be right there. And so with our team, we would be there. And I remember we're talking to people. And at one point, we heard this really loud screaming. It was like this young man screaming, screaming. And I go over with a friend of mine who was a recovered drug addict himself. Uh, And we walked over. And seeing what was going on, it was quite the scene. And this, this guy, is semi-convulsing on the ground, and you know, people are like, oh, we need to call the ambulance, and this and that and the other. And so my friend is actually a nurse, and so we got around and you know, trying to calm the situation. The ambulance came, helped the guy, he didn't want to go in the ambulance, and we ended up sitting with him. Initially, you know, there was very little communication happening, but later on, he sort of sobered up a bit, and his name was Nicholas, uh, was my age at the time, a bit, bit younger. And uh, and I remember talking to him, and this guy comes up to me, and he looks at me really serious, like, "What are you doing? Don't you understand that people that come here at night to the square, there is no more hope. This is the final stop. This is the end station." And it was like this matter of fact. And I remember thinking by myself, "Man, it's not. It never is." With the God that we served, it's never the final stop. There is always a chance. Because I was one of those people once myself. I was one that was walked away from God, far away from God. And God brought me to himself. And I ended up talking to this guy. We ended up praying with this guy. Now, it's very hard to stay in contact with him. But, you know, there was this moment. I have a picture still of him at home. And, uh, you know, it's just, man, you're talking now. It's 18 years later. No idea where he's at. But you know, God's heart for this young man is incredible. I was in Cairo a year later, and uh, I was there for pastor meetings and other things. And I remember this one morning, I was going to this meeting. I was wearing nice black pants, nice shoes. I was wearing a white shirt uh, on my way to this meeting, and we were at uh, Tahrir Square, what is the central square in Cairo. And we're waiting for this pastor to arrive. And because of traffic, it was all a bit delayed. And this is this young boy who was on the square. And he had this little crate. And he had all these little tissue packets on it that he had trying to put on it and he's trying to sell them and it was really windy and so like he put them down and then the wind came and all these like this little tissue packets would blow off and he'd be running around and pick them up and go back and put them back on and I watched it for a little while and I felt got promptly so Ari, go and help him and so I walked over picked up some of these tissues and I looked at this little crate that he had and it had like little openings in it so what I did I started putting these tissues in these openings so that they wouldn't blow out and this kid is all like really Wow. And he gets his tissues and starts putting them in his openings. And, you know, we finished. And he didn't speak a word of English. And I put my hand on his head. And I walk off at the, at the spot where this pastor uh, is going to pick us up. And I, I walk there. And all of a sudden behind me, I hear this shout, sir. And I turn around. And there's this kid. I'm not kidding. From about a meter and a half away, he launches in the air. And he jumps at me. He jumps at me. And I've, you know, got my white shirt on. This kid works on, like, lives on the street. I have a choice. <laughs> I was to go like this and let him fly past or, or catch him, right? And the only thing that I could do was catch him. And I caught this kid and he was all smiles. And I put him on the ground and he ran back to his tissue box. And then he turned back and he sprinted at me again, jumped again, and he did it like three times. And, you know, my beautiful white shirt for my meeting... Uh, you know, it had shades of grey on it, all sorts of things. Didn't matter. But this gentleman at the square, this Muslim guy comes up to me. He said, ah, oh, what are you doing? I was like, what do you mean? So, said, well, you know, this, this boy, why do you spend time with him? He doesn't have any value. I was like, wow. And that's sort of my heart, like, not, didn't sink. I was like, my, my goodness, doesn't have any value it just impacted me so much, right? So, people look at people and they look at situations and they come to conclusions. But the conclusion of God is, you know, that, that Nicholas in Athens has tremendous value. It's not the end of the road. You know, this kid in India, God has hope. This boy in Cairo, he has value. Because he's made in the image of God. And God longs for relationship and over time these situations just transformed my heart it changed my heart as it relates how God sees the lost he is relentless he never gives up he loves all he loves everyone unconditionally and coming to terms with that and this is how God sees us and sees everyone and he longs for all people to come into relationship with him and God longs for moments for people to respond. You know, Pastor Benny last week, you know, mentioned this scripture. You know, in 1 in Timothy chapter, three, uh, chapter 2, 3 and 4. And it talks about this, that he desires all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. He desires all men to be saved. That's God's heart for people. He does not want people to die into eternity without him. And so... Jesus came to seek and save the lost. You know, Luke 15, the parable of the lost coin. Yeah. uh, There's also the lost son. And I was thinking about this. It says at the end of every paragraph that there is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And I was thinking about it this morning, actually, as I just was praying for the service. What is that like? Joy in heaven. It's like, oh, that's, uh, that's awesome. <laughs> what is that like? When a person comes into relationship with God and heaven responds. What is that like? And I don't quite know because I haven't been there, but I had this picture in my mind. And I actually, I felt like we needed to do something as a church this morning. I hope that's okay with you. Uh, but I wondered whether we could all stand. Can we all stand? It's good for the legs anyway. You know, sitting for a long time. You know, get the bloodstream going. Now, I don't know uh, if you're an introvert or an extrovert. <laughs> I'm more of an extrovert. So certain things are easier for me than for others. Uh, but joy. What is joy? Right? It's not based on circumstances. It's based... You know, on knowing God, the presence of God. But when there is joy, there is like this sense of celebration. And I just wondered whether we as a church, like a picture of heaven, could have a moment of joy. And celebrate with heaven. Because I would say right now, somewhere in the world, there is people responding to the good news of the kingdom. Right now, somewhere in the world, lots of places in the world, there's people responding. So what I would like us to do, at the count of three, I want us, what do you think I'm going to (laughs) say? I want you to pretend, no, not pretend, that, that you're in heaven, and I want you to give a joyful something, yeah? A shout, a cheer, whatever it is, and I want it to come from your belly, And I want it to be loud, yeah? Because I think that's what it is like in heaven. There is this sense when a person who is lost, yeah? Who was going to be in eternity without God is responding. God is like, yes. I think it's more than that. The angels. So can we do that at a count of three? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you need to think about. But maybe think about a person responding somewhere in a nation in the world. Yeah, I'll count to three and we'll, we'll joy. Loud, amen? amen. Okay, one, two, three. Yeah! yeah! Woo! And you know what? It's happening again, and it's happening again. You can sit down. You can sit down. But see, there's joy in heaven. See, God did everything He possibly could to reach the lost. He was in his throne, worshipped, adored and honored. And he left it and stepped in to this world. And rather than looking from a distance, he stepped right into it. And not like this, not sort of tiptoeing around. Oh my goodness, it's quite a sinful place. He walked right amongst us. He stepped right into our midst and he became like one of us. He came to seek and save the lost. And finding lost people, we sometimes need to go to places that we don't like to go. <laughs> and be in spots where we don't like to be. I was praying the other day and I felt God say, Ari, I love every lost person. They just don't know it yet. So how do they get to know it? It's you and I actually letting them know. John 3:16 and 17. John 3:16-17 We all know 16 For God so loved the world that he gave see and love always is something that gives that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life but then it goes on in 17 For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world. But that the world might be saved through him. See, love and judgment are opposites. They they contradict each other. And Jesus came to love. And I would say, guys, we can't love those that we judge. It's very hard to love those that we judge. Judgment hinders love. It's the very thing. That is the opposite. And how do we see people? That's my question too to me? How do we see people that we pass? Because we, we pass people every day that are not in relationship with God. People in all sorts of situations too. What is the first thing that comes to our mind? Then we run into a person that's a bit different from us, or that is dirty, that hasn't washed himself for whatever reason it is. What is the first thing that comes to our mind? Because we, at times, judge, but we don't really know people's story. I was thinking of the movie, I don't know if you've seen it or not, uh, The Shack. Interesting movie, and I won't go into the theology of all of it, but there is this circumstance in there. Uh, There's a guy called Mac, right? Um, His dad was abusive uh, to him and to his mom. And through a tragic event in the movie, his Mac's dad ends, ends up passing away because of something that, uh, that Mac does. And there's other tragic events in his life. And God really wants to heal Mac. And what happens in this movie, right? Mac has an encounter with God. And somewhere in that encounter, Mac ends up meeting Wisdom. <laughs> and Wisdom sits on the judgment seat. And uh, Mac is like, who are you? And she's like, I'm Wisdom. And, uh, and she says, oh, you know, you're here for judgment today. We're here for judgment today. And he's like, okay, well, you know, what have I done? And he said, no, 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 we're not judging you. You're going to be the judge. <laughs> and is like, oh. And, and wisdom says to him, well, you know, you've been so good at it. You've judged everybody. You've judged God. And, you know, so why don't you be the judge? And he's like, okay. And so he goes and sits in this chair. And uh, what happens, wisdom sort of shows these circumstances. Ah, you know, what about selfish people? Yeah, guilty. What about rebellious people? Yep, guilty. What about murderers? Ah, guilty. What about drug users? Yep, guilty. And he sort of throws it out there. And then he gets a picture in front of him of his dad um, abusing his mom. So what about husbands who beat their wives? And he's like, guilty. And, you know, he, he comes in the picture. And he says, stop, stop, because it gets too personal, right? It gets too painful. But he says, guilty, guilty. And then the next thing that happens, there's another man who pushes this child and yells at this child. So first what Mac did, his dad, right? And he says, guilty. Then there's this other man that pushes this child. And wisdom says, and what about here? What about this boy? And Mac is like, well, what about this boy? He's just a kid. And wisdom says to him, well, Mac, you've already judged him. And he's like, how is that possible? said, well, this little boy is your dad, right? And what it starts talking about is that people have a journey, right? And we look at people's circumstances, not sometimes being aware of where they come from. And we end up judging people, but we have no clue. I did this with my dad. The majority of my life alive, my dad was an alcoholic, yeah? And I judged my dad. And it was like internal. Until God showed me when I was ready for it, right? And open to it. Until God showed me where my dad came from. The story of my dad. And when I understood my dad's story, you know what happened? Grace flooded into my heart. Grace flooded into my heart. See, and this is what God is like He knows every person's story, He knows where we come from, He sees people. And it says in, in Matthew, chapter 9, that they are like sheep without a shepherd. What is that like, sheep without a shepherd? They're unprotected. They're vulnerable. Often lost. Every now and then, like we see like a woolly sheep somewhere in, in the wilderness. They're lost. And very often, when sheep are on their own, there's wolves around too. Wanting to attack. Causing pain. They're rejected and neglected. And Jesus talks about sheep without a shepherd. And he talks about people. And it says that Jesus had compassion. He had compassion. Now compassion is not necessarily a feeling or an emotion. Although it can come in there. You know there's emotion resources that define compassion like this. A feeling that arises when you are confronted with another's suffering... And feel motivated to relieve that suffering. So so compassion, there's an aspect of action connected to that. There's something that we do. It's different from pity. Sometimes we can have pity on someone. I see a person on the street. Oh, here you go. I give them a coin. Or, you know, it's like there's not a lot of interaction related. Compassion is not like that. Compassion steps into a person's suffering. It connects themselves with this person. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus stepped in without judgment. And we're looking at story after story. The way that he related to people with leprosy. He touched them. He came close. The woman at the well. An Interesting story. But he talks to her as a Samaritan. Like Jews were not meant to do that. Jesus did. Because he wants to show us something, isn't it? He wants us to go across boundaries. Across borders. And despite her sin. Because he knew. Because he told her. So go and get your husband. She's like, oh, I don't have a husband. And he's like, yeah, you're correct. You've had five husbands. And the person you're with now, that's not your husband. And the woman, the, the woman is like, oh, I perceive you to be a prophet. He's it's like, you know. And she goes. Eventually, she goes and gets people, right? And... And all these people actually come into relationship with God because of what Jesus did. And he stayed with them for two days. In Samaria. Crossing borders. No distinction. The woman with the alabaster jar. In Luke chapter 7. I find it interesting because Jesus is invited by this guy called Simon in his house. And this woman comes up with this costly perfume. Right, and pours it over his feet and tears and wipes it with the hair. And this Simon guy, this Pharisee, he's saying to himself, Oh, if he was truly a prophet, he would know that this woman was a sinner. And then what happens? Jesus ends up using this woman in that story to basically put Simon in his place. I came to your house. You didn't give me anything to drink. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. This woman. And he uses this woman to put him in his place. There's just this warm, open heart towards this woman. Zacchaeus. This is where the scripture is, right? Came and seek and save the lost in Luke chapter 19. Here's Zacchaeus. He's a tax collector. Not loved by his own people because he would steal from his own people in that sense, right? And Jesus is coming along and he's a little fella. And so he's like, man, I'm going to climb in the tree so I can see what's going on. And Jesus comes past. And where does he stop? At the tree. Looks up. Zacchaeus, let's eat together. He invites himself. I'm coming to your house. How do you feel about that? Somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I'm going to have dinner at your place tonight. And, uh, and so Jesus invites himself to this, this guy's home. And what happens? Man, he gets convicted. And he pays back, he says, four times what I've stolen. According to the law, I only needed to do it two times. True repentance, because Jesus enters into his life. One of my favorite stories, Luke 23, the thief on the cross. The guy's got nothing. Nothing. He's on the cross, he's about to die. No no time to do anything good. And one guy on the cross, you know, yells at Jesus. Said, hey, if you're the son of God, you know, get, off, get, us, get us off here. Get off yourself. Help us. Whatever. And the other sinner said, hey, don't you understand? This man has done nothing wrong. We are here because we're guilty. But he's innocent. And then he looks to Jesus. What does he say? Could you please... Remember me, please remember me. And so they get a picture of the heart of Jesus. What happens? Wide open. Wide open. What does he say? Today. Today. You will be with me. In paradise. And what happens next? not long after his legs get broken and he dies he's got no moments of good deeds Jesus sits there and waits right to the very last moment my dad that I mentioned to you my whole life that I was alive my dad had an alcohol problem my dad died 12 years ago indirectly because of the results of alcohol but you know what three days before he died surrendered his life to Jesus when I was on a plane yeah when I was on a plane from Australia to Holland to be back in time and the first thing that was on my heart I need to talk to my dad about the Lord and my mom said you know what pastor came yesterday of the church talk to your dad and he made his life right with Jesus I was like oh and how did I know that it was true First thing my dad said to me when he saw me, Ari, please forgive me. I knew that something had changed. But see, the issue is, till the very end, Jesus is there. He waits. He interacts with people. He comes into their situations. He doesn't remove himself. He sits with people in the dirt. He meets people where they are. And I believe that's what he longs for, for us. See, if we're talking about the biblical basis of missions, God's heart for the lost, then we need to look at the life of Jesus. Because he exemplified that. He lived that. He showed us how to live. He's grieved over the lost state of people. Genesis chapter 6. You get a glimpse. We had a glimpse of the joy of God, but there's also a glimpse of the grief of God in Genesis chapter 6. Verses 5 and 6. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. There is nothing good. Everything has been corrupted on the earth. And what does it say? The Lord was sorry. Some translations say the Lord was grieved. Grieved. That he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. There was pain in the heart of God because of the lostness of man. And that is still there. God has pain in his heart just as there is joy as it relates to people come to know him. He desires all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. He is patient. Pastor Benny mentioned that last week. Pastor Dan last week mentioned too about going missional we want to go deeper with God and we want to go go missional and it's the same coin or the same ring and it is really like that as we go deeper with God we start understanding his heart we connect with God heart to heart we become like him his priorities become our priorities as we connect with God and guys and a way to do God's heart uh, to get God's heart is to do God's work A part of getting his heart is to actually do his work. And we're looking at going missional as a church. Yeah. And we don't always have to wait until we feel like we should go missional. Because we've already been told to go missional. Haven't we? We've already been commanded. A primary call as believers is to be in relationship with God. And then you get the common call to all believers. And the commission, the great commission is a part of that. We're all in some way called To make Christ known. Be it through missions, a missionary organization, or through the spheres of society, or the mind molders that we call them. Business, education. We're called to be salt and light wherever we are. And God wants to call us into that place of sharing His love with the lost. And a part that motivates us is our heart. I don't do it because I have to. I do it because there's people every day. That we walk past that don't know Him. And as a church, so we're commanded to go. And as a church, it's really our role. A part of the role of the church, yeah, as a sphere, is to influence all other spheres. We are everywhere. (laughs) We are in the marketplace. Where we are to be salt and light. Praying for the people that we work with. That God has placed us with. In whatever situation that is. And guys, my prayer today, as it relates to my message, is that God would deposit something in our heart. As it relates to His heart for the lost. And that it would motivate us to be more and more missional. Because missional starts as soon as we walk out of this door. Over here, in here, we don't have to do a lot of missional work. We can talk about missions and encourage people to do missions, but when we get out there, there be people that do not know Jesus and that desperately needs to hear. And God uses us to do that. We are His hands and His feet. <laughs> he's left, <laughs> and He's left out with a job, as it says in the Book of Acts, when He spoke to His disciples. You know, when are you going to do this, Jesus? Uh-uh, I'm going. <laughs> You're staying. And you're going to be my witnesses. We are called to be his witnesses. Through action. Through word. Reaching the lost. So my prayer. That as we have the month of missions. And going missional. That God would increase in us. His heart. For those that do not know him. That God would call us to a deeper place. In relationship with him. Connecting with his heart. And being the people that he wants us to be. And for today, I I had a very simple response uh, actually coming to my mind. Very simple response. If you want to see increase in your heart, in connection to God's heart, and how this relates to the lost, I just want to encourage you to stand. I want to encourage you to stand. We've stood up before and cheered. But if you want an increase, if you, if you know, man, I've walked the streets at times and I see people in a difficult spot and I actually don't feel love, sometimes I judge. I want you to stand. If you, don't, if you know that your heart is not filled with compassion, and guys, don't misunderstand me. It's a process and we grow in it. I'm still growing. But sometimes it's inconvenient. You know, my wife and I, we've just moved house. And we're living on a corner of a street. Two streets. Right on the corner. Can't live on the corner of one street. We live on the corner of two streets. And there's people walking past all the time. And sometimes it's easy. To just, oh, not right now. Right? And God has placed us in a community for a reason. He's placed us in this place for a, for a reason. And if you you know... Yeah, I need increase. I just want us where we are. You can stand, if you can't stand, you know, God sees your heart, that's okay too. Just to quietly pray. Quietly pray and ask God to reveal to you His heart afresh for the lost, for people that do not know Him. Just where you are quietly. Just ask Him. I would just like to pray for you this morning. And as I pray for you, I pray for myself. And I wondered if you can lay a hand on the person next to you, on their shoulder. Let's just, because it's not just gonna be me or just you, it's gonna be all of us. Let's just trust God to impart something in us today. Lord Jesus, you came to seek And save the lost. And I pray today. That we would have a fresh revelation. Of your love. Unconditional love. Free of judgment. Give us a revelation of your love. For those that do not know you for those in circumstances that we do not understand. Forgive us, Lord, for the times where we have judged, where we have been calloused, turned a blind eye. And Lord, show us more of yourself. You crossed boundaries. You got in the dirt. You related to people that according to customs you shouldn't relate to because you saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And Lord, today we ask you, give us your heart. Show us your heart. Show us your heart. Show us your heart. heart. Give us your heart. Cry with those who cry. To stand with those that stand on their own. so often behind a smiling face there can be so much pain help us to see as you see break our hearts for what breaks yours and that we would be people Lord that are focused on the call of God upon our lives to make a difference in whatever place you've placed us in whatever sphere of influence you have placed us, you've placed us there to be salt and light. And the people that we meet on the street, when we go shopping, Lord, help us to be sensitive, to hear from you, and to do what you call us to do. We we'll just ask you for that. In Jesus' name. My time is up, the time is up. If you really like prayer, afterwards I'm happy to pray for people. Uh, But I have the privilege also of dismissing you today. A couple of scriptures that come to mind with that. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord makes his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lifts his countenance upon you and gives you peace. But let the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.